This is Dr. Mobin Sayed with one more episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Bean from the FLCCC platform. So let's very quickly look at what FLCCC is and then we'll discuss. Today's study is actually very interesting. We are going to talk about a study that is on Thailand which demonstrates a very high incidence of the cardiac effects in children who received BioNTech vaccine. So here is FLCCC. And if you go actually scroll down, you would see here, this is an, a section of education. And if you click here, you will be taken to all various topics that we have delivered so far. In addition to that, if you are new to FLCCC, which I would hope you are not, if you're new to FLCCC, then if you look at these protocols part, you can see various protocols for various disease states for long COVID, for COVID, acute COVID, hospitalization, prophylaxis, vaccine injury, long COVID injury, and long COVID, and so on. So give it a look. And here is the study that we're going to talk about. This is a preprint study, cardiovascular effects of the BNT162B2, which is Pfizer-BioNTech, mRNA COVID-19 vaccine in adolescents. This is from Thailand. And if you see here, the date, August 8th. Then in addition to this, to provide some supporting or some comparison and contrast, I have some more studies here as well. For example, here is another study, myocarditis cases reported after mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccination in the US from December 2020 to August 2021. The highlight of this study was that the cases expected, for example, in 12 to 13 years of age, I believe, were 0.53 per million doses and what they saw were 70 per million doses and that was 133 times higher than what was expected. Although my thought was when such studies would appear, then our CDCs, FDAs, other healthcare authorities, doctors, they would start digging in and say, what is the truth in there? But there is no, nothing happened. And that is, I think, a tragedy of the current times. This is another letter that I have attached here. The links are in the description. Myocarditis after Pfizer-BioNTech vaccination in Israeli adolescents. And here, if you see they observed myocarditis as well, and this is that data, and we'll discuss it. Then here is, so this Israeli study references this FDS debrief document. Oh, sorry, this is the presentation. But anyways, if you see here, 12 to 17 years of age, they found 19 cases of myocarditis after 2.189 million doses given in females, and 128 in 2.039 million doses given in males. And so they say this is really negligible, rare, less. I'm going to show you that this study from Thailand shows children with actual biomarkers, cardiac biomarkers, for example, tromponin T or CKMB. And I will discuss what these things are in a few minutes. Children with the actual biomarkers raised after the vaccine were 2.3%, 2.3%. Here we're talking about 128 cases out of 2.3 million doses. And this study is showing 2.3%. So, of course, you would have a question in your mind. Why does this study show a very high number compared to what we are seeing here? And I would explain what was different in their method. Then here, this is also a very interesting study. I had discussed that on my channel a few months ago. I think we should do that for FLCCC as well. This is part of the long COVID cardiac impacts. So this is Seattle Children's Hospital study where they had a few children that developed myocarditis after the mRNA vaccines. And 
there is an interesting statement here, which I discussed then as well. And let me see if I can read it. If you see here, in a cohort of adolescents with COVID-19 mRNA vaccine-related myopericarditis, a large portion, a large portion have persistent LGE abnormalities, raising concerns for potential longer-term effects. And these, this particular study from Seattle Hospital, they had been observing children, I believe, even after three months or five months or eight months, and they were planning to continue for the year and onwards too. And then some links here if you wanted to read up more about CKMB, etc. So with this background, now let's look at some of my drawings to, to go over what the study is saying. So study has many parts in it, many kinds of issues that they have discussed. I want to focus on one special set of issues and these are subclinical myocarditis and pericarditis or myopericarditis observed after the vaccine. So the first answer, remember I said that you may have this question that what is so special about this study? This is the first study that did a prospective study of the heart status in children after the vaccine compared to retrospective studies or studies where children had the problem and then they started collecting data on them after the vaccination. So not only this was a prospective study, they also did, as soon as the child would get the second dose, that day they would take their cardiac status. Then they would take the status on third day, seventh day, and optionally 14th day as well. And the results are very interesting. So let's look at those results together. First of all, they had a total of 301. Finally, there was 314 children that were inducted in the study. 301 actually followed up. The remaining were lost to the follow-up. What they found was, here is a summary. This is the takeaway. The takeaway is that 2.33%, 2.33% of the second dose vaccine receiving boys had at least one biomarker or positive lab that indicated a problem or inflammation of the heart. Now, in these, 2.33 was 7 out of 301. In these 7, there were some, I think about 6 were subclinical, although 3 had pericardial effusion as well. That pericardial effusion means fluid collecting around the covering of the heart or in the covering of the heart, around the heart. 2.33% subclinical. And then if you take their overall cardiac effect that they say, that is 29.24%, but their cardiac effect also include tachycardia, heart increasing in speed or slowing down in speed as well. So these may be minor things. So I'm not going to dwell too much on 29.24%, although that is a very high number as well for a child's heart to become affected by the vaccine, 30% of the children. But this 2.333 is concerning. And I'll discuss more that why is this a problem. So now let's have a context. So that is a summary of the study. Context is this. When FDA authorized this vaccine or these vaccines, if I can go to their authorization, this is their debrief document. This document, so if you see here, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine VRB-PAC briefing document. This is page number 41 of that document. In this page over here, if you see, Two SAEs in the BioNTech group and none in the placebo group, so there were two severe effects here, were considered by the investigator but not the sponsor. 
as related to study vaccination. But here is interesting thing. This is their briefing document for Pfizer-BioNTech authorization. Shoulder injury occurred in one person. Ventricular arrhythmia, cardiac issue, occurred in a participant who already had a cardiac condition as well, one, and then lymphadenopathy in another. And look at this, what they're saying. In FDA's opinion, following review of the adverse event narratives, two of these events were considered as possibly related to vaccines. Guess which two? They don't have the heart in it because I think they wrote it off as this person already had a cardiac condition, so maybe that is what caused it. Instead of becoming curious to say, we need to keep an eye on this. So they simply said, shoulder injury, maybe because of the vaccine injection, and lymphadenopathy may be related to vaccine. So generally, in their authorization debrief, they said no one had any cardiac issues or any more cardiac issues than expected. So if I come back here, this was 16 years and onwards, no cardiac issues. Then there is a study that was printed in JAMA, January 25, 2022. This study said myocarditis cases after mRNA vaccination. I showed you this study before. Let me just very quickly go to it. This is that study. This study showed that a very 133 times higher number of myocarditis cases were observed in children, I believe 12 years of age, after the mRNA vaccines. Again, these may not be the entirely finally correct numbers. We still may need to do a lot more observation and understanding of the bigger parameters. We need more epidemiological studies. But in my opinion, these are concerning and available signals which should have alerted the healthcare authorities to say, we have a problem here, we need to fix this. So in this study, they said that 12 to 15 years of age, this is not the Thai study, but the study in JAMA, 12 to 15 years of age, children, when they receive the vaccine, the expected myocarditis rate is 0.53 per million doses and it was found to be 70.73 per million doses, which is 133, but still per million doses. Now consider that per million to what we just saw, 2.33%. So per million doses, 2% is a little difficult because these million doses are these 2 million people or half a million given twice. So I cannot do a one-to-one -one comparison there, but I'll do this kind of a comparison a little later on the, with the other studies. The important takeaway from here is that there are clear signals out there to say there is cardiac damage that occurs. And we need to be careful about it, that who gets it, why are they getting it, is the cost-benefit analysis working? Then there is another study that came out from Israel, that is March 10, 2022. That is this study. This was myocarditis after BioNTech vaccine in Israeli adolescent. And they have discussed that over here. So let me just very quickly show you the review. 12 to 15 years of age children, risk of myocarditis was one case out of 12,361. CDC said one out of 16,129. Where did CDC say that? So first, let me show you that over here. They said, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimate of approximately one case per 16,129 male recipients 12 to 17 years of age after receipt of the second dose. Then if you see here, this one, the risk of myocarditis after receipt of the second dose among male adolescent 12 to 15 years of age 
was estimated to be one case per 12,361. So we are still talking almost rare situation, one in 12,000 or one in 16,000. And this is the document that they referred. Now go back to what we are seeing, seven in 301. One in 16,000 and seven in 300. That is the interesting part of this study. Okay, so then I also wanted to add this extra understanding that how do we look at it from a long-term point of view? And again, we will look at data to understand should we be concerned for the long-term or not? And as much data as we have. We don't have real long-term data yet. But if you see here, in this study, this is the Seattle Children's Hospital study. And as I had already shown you this, in a cohort of adolescents with COVID-19 mRNA vaccine-related myopericarditis, a large portion have persistent LGE abnormalities, raising concerns for potential long-term effects. Right? This is Seattle Children's Hospital. So my takeaway from reading all those studies, connecting their dots, is that when a child gets the vaccine and develops myocarditis or pericarditis or myopericarditis. And what are these things I'll discuss in a few minutes. I want to give you a complete summary and context. Then they may actually end up with a long-term cardiac problem. So the question really has to be answered in this way that what is a cost-benefit analysis? What is the risk of the damage by COVID to this patient versus the risk by the vaccine? That should be the driving calculation. Unfortunately, at least in the US, our healthcare authorities have done nothing to provide this comparative study or data to our parents or doctors. Okay, so now what did this study do? Number one, they found that there is subclinical myopericarditis going on in children. This was not observed in other studies. Why? Because other studies so far for myocarditis are based on a child gets a vaccine, they go home, if they develop some symptom, they come back to the hospital and that is when they observe their data. So they are actually never seeing that the child never developed a symptom, but they had silent problem with the heart going on. This is the first study showing the subclinical effect and not only subclinical effect is present, it's present in a very high number. The incidence rate is very high. A high percentage of cardiac effects were seen, 29.24. And you could argue to say EKG change, we don't care, or again, we should care for everything. But let's say compared to cardiac biomarkers, which are an indicators of cardiac cell under stress and inflamed and possibly getting damaged and spilling its guts. Compared to that, heart, sinus rhythm, tachycardia, it's not that bad compared to biomarkers. So all effect 29.24%. So 30, about 30% 30 of the children receiving the vaccine could be at risk of cardiac effects. A high percentage of myocarditis was seen. One case out of 310 and ended up in a hospital ICU. Total seven they saw. One was admitted to the ICU as well. Fortunately, nobody died at least in this study's time and which is a good thing. We don't want children to die. So now compare this one case. Let's just keep it one case for 310. Let's ignore the remaining subclinical six. One to 310 versus one to 16,129 or one to 12,000 something. This is a very high percentage. And now if you actually include seven, then that is 2.33%, very high percentage. This one in 16,129, so 0.006 versus 2.23%. 
And let's say this is still a smaller study. This still need to be looked at at a larger scale, one. And secondly, this still needs to be looked at for a longer period of time. But do you expect this would happen in the US? That is a problem. So we have to look at Thailand study and thanks to these researchers who did it. Now, we have discussed these parts before. With this, some more now physiological context to understand the study and its biomarkers. What is troponin T? So troponin T is a protein that is present in heart tissue. Troponins are actually present in all muscles. Of course, heart is a muscle as well. So there is troponin T there as well that we can differentiate from the troponins of the other muscles. And we can know that if this protein is present in the blood, that means there's a problem with the heart. So heart tissue, contractile part, has a number of proteins in it. For example, there is a protein called myosin. Myosin has little contractile heads attached to it, which walk on this other actin filament and they allow the contraction to occur. Then, so there is another filament in there or light chain in there, which has these actin proteins and then the troponin proteins. In these troponins, this blue one that I've made here, this is troponin T. We can identify whenever there is a problem with the cardiac tissue, inflammation or damage or ischemia or necrosis, these from within the heart cell, these proteins can spill out. And we can then detect them in the blood and figure out that there is a problem with the heart. So they saw, they were measuring troponin T. Now, if I go back here, this is heart's muscle. If you take a part of that muscle, the contractile units are present in it. In those contractile units, these pieces are present, which have actin, myosin, troponins. Now, when heart muscle is insulted, insulted by, let's say, autoimmune attack or immune attack or inflammatory attack, or lack of oxygen, or overworking. There are so many possibilities of stressing out the heart. In case of the vaccines, again, this study said we do not know what is the mechanism, but there are many other studies that show that the mechanism is activation of the immune system and possibility of the spike protein, and these together causing damage to the heart. Spike protein can directly damage the heart, and we have done those discussions. And then spike protein also activates the immune system, which in turn creates autoantibodies, which in turn can attack heart with, through molecular mimicry and cause inflammation. So here, let's say this is a cardiac tissue. When the cardiac tissue is insulted, it becomes inflamed, let's say, or damaged, and it releases or from it, the troponins and the myosins and the actins, the smaller pieces would spill out. And as I said before, we can measure them in the blood if troponin T is present in the blood, we have a problem going on in the heart. There is an inflammation or damage to the cardiac tissue. The tissue cells are spilling. What should be staying in the cell is actually spilling out in the blood. Similarly, in the heart, there are various cardiac tissue. There are various enzymes as well. All of our cells have enzymes. These enzymes are doing cells daily business. So two interesting enzymes that we can measure in the blood as well are the phosphocreatine kinases. These are CKM and CKB. Together, these two friends are called CKMB. So when a cardiac tissue is damaged or insulted or inflamed, it would release these enzymes as well in the blood. Actually, a lot of pieces, internals of the cell would spill out. But these are the ones that we are easily able to identify. And these are the ones that are different from other tissues. 
So if the CKMB is present as well, these two enzymes are present as well, that is also another indicator for us that in the blood there are proteins present that should have only been within the heart's muscles cell. So their presence in the blood actually indicates a problem, either inflammation or the heart damage. So the summary is that if we break a heart, if we damage a heart, the things from within the cell would spill out and then we can measure them. Now, I wanted to go over these two tables. Let's look at the study itself and go over these tables there. These are the seven patients who had their subclinical cardiac effect. And I wanted to go over some of that. So this is that. Many people have been arguing that it's about EKGs or it's not. Actually, if you look at the study as well, the more thorough analysis is done on these subclinical myocarditis, pericarditis or myopericarditis cases. So if you see here, table 2, presentation with myopericarditis, clinical myocarditis and pericarditis after second dose of the vaccine. Total 7, so these are the clinical signs and symptoms they observed. Chest pain, chest discomfort, pericardial effusion, fever, headache, palpitations, dyspnea. Now remember, they were not waiting for the child to complain and then come back to the hospital and then the workup starts. They had already started the workup at the receipt of the second dose. So they had a baseline. When the child had the problem and then they came back for their follow-up on the day 3 and 7, the researchers were able to see how much the change had occurred. So then vital signs are here, EKG findings are present. So sinus rhythm with sinus arrhythmia means sinuses are usual cardiac cycle where atria contract first and then the ventricles contract and there is a proportion of time between them. So for example, normal cardiac cycle is about 0.8 second and that is very well structured in a way that some part goes to atria and some part goes to ventricular contraction. If the heart becomes faster but that proportion is maintained, we call it sinus tachycardia or sinus bradycardia depending upon what is the number of beats. So sinus simply means arrhythmia in terms of non-sinus behavior or dysregulated atria and ventricle didn't occur. So they had sinus. Then they had diffuse ST elevation. ST elevation is, so if I go back here for a second, our EKG is made up of P wave, which is atrial contraction, then QRS. There is an atrial T wave here as well, but that gets buried under the QRS complex. So those who are <laughs> EKG folks, rest can ignore it. And then there is this uh, ventricular T wave. So they saw some abnormalities in these EKGs as well. Lab values, elevated troponin in five children out of seven. Clinical course, arrhythmias, ICU admission one. Now what I wanted to go over was these seven patients, what was their heart's condition? So first look at this on the left side, 16 male, 15 male, 17 male, 13 male, 14, 13, 17, all boys, youngsters, adolescents. What did they have? Myopericarditis. Myopericarditis means that the heart was inflamed and pericarditis is the outer layers of the heart, the covering. Imagine heart is present within a little packaging. So that packaging is the pericardium. An inflammation of pericardium is pericarditis. Now, interestingly, when this outer layer becomes inflamed, it can actually collect fluid, just like we develop mucus when we have infection, right? 
here we can end up developing fluids in these areas and that is pericardial effusion. Pericardial cavity usually have fluids in it to create a slippery surface for the heart to beat in or move in. And then if there is fluid in there, there is a problem. It is usually the result of inflammation, but there are many other diseases or many other pathologies that can do it. So here, check this out. Three patients had pericardial infusion. I have marked in red the biomarkers that had increased. So if you see here, CKMB, which I just discussed, these two enzymes, CKM and CKB, this first person, who, child who had myopericarditis, look at this, one, two, three, four. So the first time, 1.25, then 109.6, then 2.36, and 109.6 was more. Similarly, if you see here, in these subclinical myocarditis, so that means they didn't develop a huge clinical picture, but they had the cardiac inflammations markers available. So if you see here now, troponin was present elevated in almost 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And then in these two, where CKMB or troponin was not elevated, pericarditis, CRP, C-reactive protein level, increased and pericardial infusion present. So do you see the picture that it is actually possible that there is no troponin levels, there are no CKMB levels and there still is pericardial effusion because the inflammation is more on the pericardial side instead of the myocardial side. So troponin would not be seen or CKMB would not be seen, but pericardial effusion can be seen. That means after a vaccine, a child deserves, so first you have to be very careful for who is being vaccinated, but a child deserves a good cardiac follow-up. And not only that day and the next month or for at least a couple of years. In my opinion, that is how we'll figure out how badly we are ending up causing vaccine-related injuries to the hearts of the children and how are they recovering or not recovering. And here is a case why I'm saying this. Number two, male, 15 years of age, only pericardial effusion. Then here is a full-blown issue. CRP 86.6, that is number one. This child actually ended up in the ICU. Very high CKMB, high, look at troponin level going to 593 and then pericardial effusion. So I wanted to make sure that we look at these data points as well. So after this, I have some comments here as well. One, why are we not baselining our children when we are vaccinating? Are we, do we really, really care that less for our children that one we are just generally exposing everyone and fine if a parent wants it or a doctor wants it or they have done that decision that is their decision but at least they should be follow-up they should be work up to figure out if there is any cardiac outcome and so if it cannot be done at a mass level then why not at least in the trials for example the booster for i think it is the pfizer's booster with the Omicron just got approved in UK, why aren't these trials that are being done, they contain this as part of the trial to say, take the patient's cardiac status from the day zero and four or seven and so on. Even liver function tests, vascular system health tests, thrombosis health tests. So all of that needs to be done. And I think at least if it cannot be done in mass, then at least in the trials. But to me, it seems like Thailand has to come and tell us that, hey, look what is happening. Then how many children will be running around with, this is what worries me actually, that a child receives the second dose 
15, 16 years of age, 12, 13 years of age, they're active children. They have a subclinical cardiac problem. Let's say they're running around with a pericardial effusion, the case number two in that table. They have no idea that they have pericardial effusion. They're doing their exercises and activities and that can be dangerous. And cost-benefit analysis, I believe it needs to be redone. And the long-term outcomes, I still believe we do not actually have a good grasp for the children for the long-term outcomes and we should do our best to have that. The things that are, I feel, lacking that still need to be studied is number one, long-term effect. So six months follow-up, one year follow-up, one and a half year follow-up, number one. Number two, any unexpected deaths, any unexpected cardiac problems, unexplained problems. Then another important thing that is missing in many of these studies is the comorbidities. And some studies actually do talk about it. They say, well, out of our group, there were 10 people who had comorbidity. But then they do not give us the data separated or stratified according to the comorbidities and healthy patients or healthy individuals who got the vaccine. I think that is a very important piece of data that is missing. And by the way, in this study, Thailand study, they had excluded anyone who may have had a pre-existing cardiac condition. So this is the discussion. Thank you very much. And I would see you next time.